Hi, I'm Therese Couture, and welcome to the Embodied Black Girl podcast, a podcast about decolonizing our imagination, healing intergenerationally, and birthing revolutionary work and worlds. Welcome back, or welcome here for the first time. I'm so glad that you're here. And I am super excited to continue our Diaspora Day series. Diaspora Day was an online gathering that we held for our community, and it was centered around to celebrate the brilliance and the beauty of the African diaspora. And it was such a rich, rich day-long experience. And we kicked off this series with um, an excerpt from my dear sister Natalie Facey's workshop entitled Healing is in the Holding. So if you haven't listened to that, be sure to go and listen to that. And today we are continuing the series with our dear brother, my dear brother, Dr. Bayo Akumalafe, who really took us on a journey. This conversation was wide ranging. Um, It covered a lot of territory, literally by the end, which was a good hour and a half. We felt like we were only just scratching the surface. The conversation was rich. We talked about the Anthropocene. We talked about Afrofuturism, the Afrocene, which is a, uh, a term that Dr. Bio coined, as well as post-activism and Blackness. What does it mean? Um, what is Blackness? Reclaiming Blackness, reimagining it. I mean, it was, like I said, a really wide-ranging and deep conversation. And I'm deeply honored to share this conversation with you here today on the podcast. And if you enjoyed this conversation and this series, you're invited to go to diasporaday.com because the Diaspora Day collection is available. And at the same time, when you get the collection, you'll be supporting our work, which allows us to create more experiences for our community like this one. So all the information is at diasporaday.com. You can also find the link in the show notes. So enjoy this conversation. Okay, so welcome back, everyone. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Diaspora Day. And I am absolutely overjoyed to have our dear brother, Dr. Bayo Akumalafe here. If you were at our Global Healing Festival last year, you will have experienced his magic, his medicine before. Um, and we're just, I'm just deeply honored to have Bio here. And if this is your first time encountering Bio, you are in for a magical, shape-shifting, trickster treat. <laughs> and I'm, and this is going to be really conversational. So really invite, you're invited to 
to really be with us and to share, and we'll have points for that. But if you don't know um, bio, I would love to just take a moment to read from his bio. So bio Akumalafe PhD, rooted with the Yoruba people in the more than human world is the father to Alethea and Kaya and the great full life partner to EJ, son and brother. A widely celebrated international speaker, post-humanist thinker, poet, teacher, public intellectual, and author of two books, These Wilds Beyond Our Fences, Letters to My Daughter on Humanity's Search for Home, North Atlantic Books, and We Will Tell Our Own Story, The Lions of Africa Speak. Bayo Kumlafe is the founder of the Emergence Network and host of the post-activist Coursed Festival event, We Will Dance with Mountains. He currently lectures at Pacifica Graduate Institute, California. He sits on the board of many organizations, including Science and Non-Duality US and Ancient Futures Australia. In July 2022, Dr. Akumalafe was appointed the inaugural Global Senior Fellow of University of California's Berkeley Othering and Belonging Institute. And um, there are some beautiful um, offerings actually on the podcast for the wild um, that, that um, Bio has done. He has also been appointed fellow for the new institute in Hamburg, Germany, and visiting critic in residence for the Otis College of Art and Design, Los Angeles, 2023. He is the recipient of an honorary doctorate from the California Institute of Integral Studies and has been the commencement speaker in two university convocation events. He is also the recipient of the New Thought Leadership Award in 2021, and the Excellence in Ethnocultural Psychotherapy Award by the African Mental Health Summit in 2022. And you can find more about bio at biokumalafe.net as well as theemergencenetwork.org. Brother, I am so grateful and honored to have you here. Thank you for sharing your brilliance with us and welcome. Okay, I was trying to unmute myself. Thank you so much, my sister, um, and for that ravishing welcome. And I greet everyone here on my pixelated screen. I wave to you from India, and um, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. And I will pass the mic to, to Brother Bio to share whatever it is that's on your heart to share with us. Um, thank you everyone for being here. Um, um, I have been through a valley of some sort these past few, um, I turned 40 um, four days ago. So, um, well, that's only, that's only critical to what I want to say, <laughs> because it seems that threshold came with a lot more crisis 
than I could have anticipated because I felt very ill. And um, thank you, my sister Ardrina. And and um, I'm I'm still recovering. And um, so so I would ask for a um, a commonwealth of your prayers and your support as as uh, not just for this beautiful convening of possibility, but but um, beyond this and in your lives as well. Um, this is my first, uh, second time with Teresa. Um, I think we, we met for the first time last year, 2022. We were still in Hamburg then, I, I believe. In yes. Germany. And it was a great and ravishing time. Um, so when I received this one, against the um, instructions of my people to rest, you know, to get some good sleep in my bones, I wanted to do this because um, the memory of our previous dalliance persists and lingers. So I'm here. And I wanted to share a few things about um, what I call the Afro scene in context of Afrofuturism and the conversations about Black lives and Black futures and the narratological forms that we've adopted to tell the stories of black of blackness right afrofuturism being a very very major vehicle for how we um turn the world's attention to the plight of black people not just african people but the diasporic community as well um, afro-caribbean communities and I want to say a few things about that, but I want to say it in conversation. Um, um, so Teresa is also going to um, um, come up uh, maybe with anything that emerges within you, sister, as a prompt, a question, um, a way to go. And I would dance in that direction. Natalie, I see you smiling. So I, I see there is a conspiracy afoot you probably have <laughs> you probably have yummy things to say. And I'd like to just go in that direction. I want to take it easy. I want to take it easy on my body. I'm quite famous for saying that the times are urgent. Let us slow down. I hardly take my own advice in that sense of the the the, the term or the, the proverb. I hardly take my advice. Um, but I'd like to do that. So um Let's start this way. My sister, what is the most pressing thing for you when it comes to the themes of our convening? Um, in, yeah. I would say, so that everyone is on the same page, why don't we begin with, what is Afrofuturism? What is okay. the Afro scene? Um, and why should we care? <laughs> 
because it has afro in it <laughs> simple simple i'm not going to keep things that simple that's not simplistic that's just dismissive um the afrofuturism i'm i'm not really very big in definitions but i think to the degree that i can speak of afrofuturism as a thing resolved to some degree um afrofuturism is is a blending of speculative fiction and critical thought and magical realism and um, technology and sci-fi. Um, in a way, also you might add non-Western cosmologies in a way that brings attention to the plight of black bodies, that tells the stories of black people in a sense um it deploys the technique of gaining distance from the presence from the present rather so that we can see the present as if in new light right? and that's not the of course not the only thing you can say about afrofuturism there are many many genres within the genre the afrofuturism of um, N.K. Jemison or Octavia Butler is somewhat different from the Afrofuturism of Marvel Cinematic Universes and and Black Panther and its phallic towers. Um, but one might say, to the degree that they speak of the same thing, one critique—I don't traffic in, in critique that much—but one often notices that Afrofuturism uses Western technological forms to understand or to, to, to do its work, right? Um, Black Panther did it to a great degree. Uh, it, it wasn't a, a, a vision of the future that I think was, and I, I, I would I wouldn't even say it was a future per se, but but it wasn't a future of uh, a vision of an African future that I that made me excited. You know the the spaceships and the gleaming towers just felt like um, adorning the GM Tower or some other traditionally Western edifice with African prints, if, if you understand what I mean. It, it's, it, it felt like um, here is the 21st or the 22nd or the 23rd century, and we're just going to put a little bit of color in it. Um, so so there, there, there is a lot of conversation around um the ontological traps and the carcerality of afrofuturism that it still speaks with the cadence and the grammatical constraints of of white modernity and by white modernity i mean not white people as i often take pains to measure out uh, white modernity is not modernity of white people. 
white modernity is a trope. It is a flattening planet terraforming um, principle, a principality, a territoriality, a nature, uh, a creativity. And its work is to make room for the isolated, dissociated self, right? Let us not forget that bodies that were captured on the African continent were imported, not just across the Atlantic, they were imported into the human. The human is, is a colonial trope. The human is a colonial edifice. The human is the behavioral, ecological, algorithmic, sociographic, um, socio-material, spiritualizing, religious um, um, edifice, so to speak. It is how we move and how we are moved by the world, right? So the human in the traditions of Sylvia Winters, Hortense Spiller, C.L.R. James, the Caribbean authors, you know, and black authors are plenty. The, the human is not the isolated anthropomorphic figures we're used to, right? Like I'm a human, no. The human is transversalized. I'm, I'm encouraging you to think about the human as an ecological thing. Right. And so black bodies, so to speak, were imported into the human as prosthetic devices. Prosthetic devices. Prosthetic. Prosthesis for the thesis. The thesis is the individual. The individual isolated, dissociated, the master of the realm, the one who has the gifts, the values, the, the, the tools of mastery, of language, of interiority. That is the human. And in order to build a world that supports this thesis, um, the transatlantic slave trade being one of those technologies, dragged bodies as prosthetic devices you know to support the thesis on its back right it wasn't just the white house it was that the thesis of modernity the flatness of the world needed needed support and black bodies were dragged into it this is the reason why there's a lot of conversation um around hey um uh, Black bodies were not allowed to be human yet, right? You're, you're, you're not quite human. You're on the spectrum, you're on the way there, but you're not quite there yet, right? And we will come around, I guess, to the conversations around what it means, what that means, and where the site of our struggles are, right? But I digress massively. The so when we speak about Afrofuturism, we're speaking about this storytelling trope, this storytelling uh, convention in which we try to gain distance. But you see, the, the, the thing with doing that is that we often still do that within the incarcerating forms of our, of our entrapment. We still use the grammar 
the thought forms, the technological presumptions, the presuppositions of our incarceration to gain distance from our incarceration, if, you, if you, you're trying to understand what I mean. Black Panther wasn't monumental to me. Of course, on the streets of Lagos, we wore all the gaily, and um, I don't live in Lagos, Nigeria, but, but <laughs> we dressed up to the teeth if you know what I mean. We showed up, we played out, we cooked all the food, and we dressed really good because it was an event. And yet, despite the fact that it was an event, I don't think it went as far. It might have noticed us in the terms of how we speak about representation. But being fully represented on the Titanic is still deeply problematic, um, you might start to notice. So when I speak about um, wearing Afrofuturism, dis disrupting it a bit, or teasing out the para-ontological from the Afrofuturist, I'm using the words of of um, Fred Moulton, Nahum Chandler, Sadia Hartman. I'm, I'm sidestepping the logic of containment. I'm asking a different question. Could blackness do something other? Could it go some other place that hasn't been part of its algorithm, hasn't been part of its ethnography? Can it go beyond the violence of its conception? Can we do something else other than just seek to be noticed within the flatness of a world that is increasingly problematic? And maybe even more critically, in a time when there seems to be no future, how do we tell a future of no future? How do we begin to speak about the future of no future? How do we, in a time when um, um, nuclear explosions are back in our storytelling paradigms, when, um, when pandemics are afoot, I'm not even sure which COVID story we're telling right now my body's telling it in a particular way but i don't have the words for it how do we how do we come to a place of the troubling kind of silences that seem demanded of our time how, how do we hold that tension without dissipating it with words in the ways that uh, an awkward couple or a couple in an awkward situation might want to hurry along the situation by, by speaking words? How do we stay with attention instead? So, um, my sister, you asked about the Afro scene and why should you care? Um, some time ago, um, a um, an author, for, I think from South Africa, coined the term African Anthropocene. Matthew Omelski is his name. Matthew Omelski, African Anthropocene. 
Does anyone understand what the Android? I'm sure you all do, um, but this maybe I could hear your speaking this out if you want to try. What if what have what ha, what have you heard about the Anthropocene? Does does anyone want to say anything about that? The Anthropocene. Never heard the term before today. Okay. Okay. The Anthropocene. Um, anyone else? Okay. Jacques raised. For, for not heard. Okay. I think a lot of people may not have heard. Okay, good. Good, good, yeah. good. Um, the Anthropocene is a, if you think about the world as divided into epochs, right? Um, the Anthropocene, by epoch, I mean ages, you know, of characterized by certain kinds of activity. We seem to be in a time that is largely defined by, by human activity industrial human activity right it's it's uh it's a proposed um period um the stratigraphic authorities have not quite adopted it yet but it has become a galvanizing theme for understanding um what we are doing to the planet and what the planet is doing to us in return right so Statutorily, officially, we are in a post-Holocene period of some kind. We are beyond the Ice Age, right? The Holocene, the cooling down and allowed us to build farms, you know, to build settlement, to build tools and technologies, to adopt language, to use the tools that we take for granted today. But people suggest that it doesn't seem we are just in the Holocene. It seems we have to go beyond that to characterize what we are doing to the planet, right? What industrial activity is doing to the planet. I'm sure you've seen images of, of, um, of uh, fish with plastic bags on their heads or something like that, swimming in waters. There, there's this famous one that I usually use in my lectures of, of uh, a turtle, a turtle that was caught temporarily with half of the Pepsi logo imprinted on its shell, right? It, it breaks down the divide between the corporate and the biological doesn't it radically because it tells us that those things are not there and the biological over there right the world is too entangled too promiscuous for those kinds of neat and convenient divides so a turtle now swims with a corporate brand on its back and it goes far beyond that right we are eating plastics we are ingesting um Anytime you use toothpaste, what's it called? Microplastics? I'm not even sure what the term is anymore. The, these things filter 
these things that we create to keep ourselves clean, to keep our environments clean, to detoxify our floors, you know, make our kitchens uh, shiny, <laughs> right? The shininess spills through and maybe spills into our food and then resuscitates and comes back as our food. And then we eat our shininess and then we complain about illnesses. In 1945, um, well, for anyone who watched Oppenheimer, you know the story, right? August 6th and August 9th of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Explosions in Japan. Insinuated, instigated, performed by the United States. First on itself, right? And then on the other. And those blasts did something. Of course, they did many things. <laughs> that's, a, that's the understatement of the year. They did horrible things. They incinerated lives, destroyed ecologies, and rendered um, bodies helpless. They created a political class of human beings in Japan called the Hibakusha. Uh, the Hibakusha are the, um, um, they're named for their proximity to the bomb blast, right? They are the generations of people that were close enough to be harmed by the bombs, but not that close to be killed off by it, right? Now, I've often taken that category of the Hibakusha and stretched it out to include, not for political purposes, but for illustrative purposes, all of us. How many of us were born? It has, is anyone here, um, or has anyone here been born after the 1990s, the 1990 mark? Anyone here, 1990? Okay. Good, right. I can't see if your hands are up or if you're, all right, Simone, Simone, Simone. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we have a couple of our younger ones here. Um, when the blasts happened, they spat out um, radioactive elements into the atmosphere, carbon-14, I'm told. And carbon-14 rushed into the atmosphere, um, into the sky, into clouds, and settled as rain, water, coming down into our fields, coming down into the ocean, coming down into plants, coming down into our territories, our ecologies, into our bodies, and into the animals that we ate. And as a result of that, we were eating radioactivity. Every single person that has been born after 1945 has trace elements of those bomb blasts in their bodies. Just like that turtle that has the imprint of Pepsi on its back, we are participating in explosions we know nothing about, right? Trace elements of carbon-14 right there in our bodies. You might say, that has nothing to do with me. You know, I'm not going to watch Oppenheimer. Well, Oppenheimer is watching you, in a sense. 
the the drama is playing out in your cells, whether you realize it or not. That's the Anthropocene. It's, in a sense, the fact that we have become such a dominant species that we have flattened the world for our own gain, and as a result, we've poisoned everything. Right? And there's no telling the story of the Anthropocene without invoking global capitalism, without telling the story of capitalism, without telling the story of the transatlantic slave trade, without telling the story of the demise, the ecocide, the extraction that is still ongoing on the African continent, for instance. Does anyone have a phone here? Could you just raise your phones up in the air? And wave them like you just don't care. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Those phones are, are purchased with the blood and tears of people in Congo. I grew up in Congo, in Kinshasa. And sometimes um, the, 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 the metals that have to be dug out with nails and with crude tools to get your phone to work. Um, yes, unspeakable, basically. So basically we are, we are imbricated with networks of suffering. We are enmeshed and entangled with webs of oppression and suffering that even in our attempts to protest or get rid of them, we strengthen those webs, right? That sometimes, you know, we might take it to task and say, well, I'm gonna defeat these systems of oppression. How are you gonna do that? I'm gonna get on Facebook and I'm gonna get everyone to get on my cause, <laughs> but we're still relying on the very same architecture of our incarceration to address our incarceration. The stickiness of our situation is what some might refer to as the Anthropocene. And that, dear one, is just the tip of the iceberg of this wide-ranging conversation with Dr. Bayo Kumalafe. Again, if you would like to check out the Diaspora Day collection. You can head over to diasporaday.com and you will also be supporting our work as well. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening, beloved. I want to personally invite you to join our free podcast community over at embodiedblackgirlpodcast.com. And when you do, you'll receive a beautiful bonus, which includes one of my favorite practices all around boundaries. And if you loved this episode, it would mean so much to us if you shared it and left a review. It helps folks to find us and lets us know what's resonating with you. And of course, be sure to subscribe. Thank you to Beautiful Chorus for our gorgeous theme song. And thank you for being here. I'll talk to you soon. Ooh, listen to your own